when you have a new technology, you have to make it work also for your customer and for all the partners on the value chain that they're working with. How can heavy-duty vehicles reduce their carbon emissions and create sustainable surface transportation? The Velocity Podcast is brought to you by management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. Join the conversation with Federico Ucci and Simon Schneurer. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our listeners around the world. Welcome to the Oliver Wyman Velocity Podcast. You're joined today by myself. I'm Federico Ucci. I'm a partner in our transportation practice. And today I'm joined by Simon Schnurrer, also a partner at Oliver Wyman and an expert specializing in the automotive practice. Hey, Simon, how are you today? Hello, Federico. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you, Simon. I'm also thrilled to be exploring this topic with you and bring together our perspectives from the transportation and automotive industries. Today's episode is around a topic both you and I are very passionate and invested in. We will be discussing sustainable surface transportation. What possible solutions are there to reduce emissions or decarbonize road transport? As we know, in Europe, road transport today accounts for about 20% of CO2 emissions, which is really significant. And in particular, a quarter of this is linked to heavy-duty transport, which will be our main focus today. Of course, Simon, we know that going green in general in the world is paramount today to stop climate change. Transportation in general need to do its fair share, and road transport is the main contributor and therefore a big part of our focus. Tracking is the biggest contributor to CO2 emission for road transportation, and it is one where the solution is not yet fully identified. We have short-duty tracking, mainly deliveries into cities, daily runs of about 100, maximum 200 kilometers, very little use of highway roads. Then there is a second segment I would call medium haul, up to 200 to 300 kilometers for trucks between, let's say, 10 and 30 tons. And then there is what we all know as heavy-duty long-haul tracking, which is trucks of 44 tons, five axes at least in Europe, and above 300 kilometers. If we speak one second about the first two segments, Simon, what do you think is the solution that you see today? Absolutely, there are big differences concerning the use cases you use trucks for. So if you think about short-term delivery trucks that go into inner cities that don't have long distances, the battery electric vehicle solutions that are coming over the next years and are already in the market today are a very good solution to cover this use segment. If you talk about the longer haul, if you talk about trucks that are running 10 hours or more a day on the highways, on the autobahns of the world, there is important to have a technology that can cover the long range requirements that can adopt, enable these long distance trips. And that is at the same time green. This is the main challenge. This is the one where it really is difficult to adopt electric solutions and still important to have something which is green. Even beyond carbon, we need to speak about noise, about particles, about NOx. We need to speak about these assets because they are not so many. They are used intensely. They contribute a lot to the carbon emissions. Here, it really is possible to make a difference by adopting new technologies. Absolutely. I agree, Simon. In fact, it is easier to decarbonize shorter haul 
tracking, the issue with green transportation is that you need to transport the amount of energy that you will need to complete the mission. So today, of course, we transport diesel. Diesel is uh, really power intense, and therefore you can attract and do over 3,000 kilometers by transporting its own fuel. When you have to transport a battery, it starts to become much heavier than the diesel you have in the tank to do those 3,000 kilometers. And in fact, you soon reach a point where the battery sucks up the whole weight that the truck can carry, and therefore you would be running to carry your battery and not to carry your load. And that's why it's easier to implement those battery power trucks for short-haul missions, but it becomes much more complex when you need to go long-haul. So today, our analysis show that there are two credible technologies for green tracking, which is hydrogen power trucks and electric road systems. Let's start with hydrogen. There are different ways to produce hydrogen, and the one that has the most potential in the future is probably green hydrogen. Simon, you can walk us through the differences in hydrogen production and why hydrogen could be a solution? Absolutely. It's important to understand the differences between these gray, blue, and green hydrogens in order to understand their impact on the sustainability of the road transport segment. So if we think about gray hydrogen, this is a hydrogen that's produced based on fossil fuels, not green by nature. It's natural gas or coal gasification conversion into hydrogen. And this at the moment accounts for 95% of global H2 production. Gray hydrogen is by far the dominant source. As you say, it's not really helpful to resolve any sustainability challenges here. If we move on to blue hydrogen, that's also based on fossil fuels, uh, such as natural gas or coal. But uh, here the carbon emissions are at least captured, stored or reused. So that's better from an atmosphere and carbon emissions standpoint. If we move on to the green hydrogen, and that's the one you were talking about, this is the future. It's produced on renewable energy, such as wind or solar. This is something that does not emit carbon emissions and at the moment accounts for only 2% of global H2 production. So it's still limited in terms of production scale, but it's the solution in terms of sustainability going forward because this is the only green H2 you have. And of course, there are challenges. At the moment, it's still very high production cost that needs to be reduced. Based on carbon pricing, obviously, it will get more competitive. And if you think about all of that, green hydrogen has the potential to be at parity with gray hydrogen in 2030. But this needs, of course, a lot of effort, a lot of push by governments, but also by technology providers. And it needs a considerable rollout of assets here. See, of course, a lot of initiatives at the moment, national or even cross-national initiatives. For example, the European Union is pushing the EU Green Deal, which includes and involves a lot of green hydrogen initiatives. In France, there is a deployment plan dated 2018. So there's a big push in France, also in the Netherlands. There's the Dutch Climate Agreement 2019. So we see a lot of initiatives that are pushing hydrogen, especially green hydrogen, over the next years. And there is hope that this will lead to an increasing share of total H2 production. Absolutely. Thank you, Simon, for running us through the hydrogen technologies. And I agree with you. It is really one of the key technologies that could make long-haul heavy-duty transport green. The reason is, as you said, green hydrogen is produced with zero emissions and hydrogen itself is very abundant. Actually, it's the most abundant element in the world. Once it's stored, put into a fuel cell as a very strong power intensity and therefore by carrying very little weight, since it's very light, we can have 
all the energy we need to move the truck. The other technology that I would like to comment today about is really the electric road systems. Electric roads are essentially an electric infrastructure that runs on the highways. Imagine as if it was a train catenary where the trucks via electrical systems would link and absorb directly the electricity from the network, basically as if they were a train. Okay, imagine a train as a pantograph and plugs to the catenaries. It would be similar for the truck. There is a fundamental difference with the hydrogen power trucks because you would not be transporting on board the power that you need to move. You would be taking it as you go from the electrical network and you would just have a small auxiliary battery to do those few kilometers where you are not on the highway. Electric road system is completely green. There are no emissions. This is just an electric motor. The truck is also very light. It is not transporting any battery, any fuel, very limited equipment, and therefore a lot of space for useful load to be transported. The challenges of electric road are essentially on the infrastructure side. So first of all, we would need to electrify a big part of the European highways for trucks to be able to continuously run. The autonomy for them to run outside of the electrified network is limited, and we cannot have only a few kilometers of electrified network. And this is, of course, expensive from an investment perspective, and it is also expensive from a maintenance perspective. Second point, and probably the most difficult one, is the compatibility. We would need to succeed in something that we have very seldom seen, unfortunately, so far in Europe, which is aligning everybody on one single standard. Imagine one truck running from Palermo to Rotterdam. It would need to continue his mission crossing several European countries, so Italy and Germany and the Netherlands. Of course, you need to have the same standard across all of these countries. If you look at the railways today, everybody has different electrical standards. It is very complex to run a train internationally, and you need special locomotives who can run on different voltages. It's extremely complex and expensive. We cannot afford that for tracking. We need to have one system decide if it will be the catenary or induction or conduction or whichever the technology, whatever will be the voltage. It needs to be seamless across the countries. And to have this kind of alignment is very complex. The third, and I would say last issue with electric roads, is the fact that you are not storing the power. The power is consumed from the trucks directly from the network, which means that you can have a huge peaks in the electrical networks when demand is high and when demand is low. And to adapt those peaks, you need to massively increase the power production. So you would need for Europe several extra power plants or renewables installations to run exactly when the demand is high. As we know, it is not easy to match offer and demand, especially in renewables, which run essentially solar, of course, during the day and wind when it's windy, and there is no storage solution. So these are clearly the challenges of electric road system, because I remind everybody, if we run everything electric, but the electricity is producing by burning coal or gas, we have not solved the decarbonation issue. Simon, what do you think of these challenges, and how would you also comment on the hydrogen ones? Yes, let me say some words for the fuel cell electric vehicle running on H2, because I'm a big fan of this system. As you know, fuel cell electric vehicles are using compressed H2 to generate electric power. So they are essentially electric vehicles too, 
but their way of storing energy is just the H2 and not just the battery. So they are very similar to electric vehicles and uh, electric vehicles are being deployed in the mass market these days. An important time to be in the market, we can benefit from some of the technology that's being rolled out anyway. The advantages with an H2 fuel cell electric vehicle, you can resolve the range issue quite quickly. The range can be as long as you need it to be. The technology basically is ready, so the vehicles are running and it's working. There are a couple of operational issues, a couple of processes that need to be worked on. For example, refueling when it's very cold, especially in winter, you have some specific issues. The degrading of the stacks are sometimes difficult to manage and to forecast and to predict. These are issues to be worked on. But nevertheless, it's a technology that's ready, that's being used today, also in other applications. It resolves a lot of issues, of course, only if the H2 comes from renewable sources, as pointed out earlier. So it doesn't make a lot of sense from the sustainability point of view if the H2 is generated by a burning fuel or coal. There are some considerable disadvantages, of course, of the system too. For example, you need to have an H2 infrastructure, which is expensive, which is hard to deploy, which needs to be ready for the trucks that are using H2 that need to refuel. And even a standard for trucks and for passenger cars at the same time is difficult to manage. So that's something to be considered. And this infrastructure needs to be rolled out by a couple of players that do not come from the automotive or truck industry that needs the investments of other players too, which is Again, difficult to manage. It needs some standardization too, as you pointed out, for the ERS system. Another big disadvantage is the vehicle cost, which can be as much as three to four times as much as a conventional engine truck. So this is something that needs to be understood, that needs to be managed, and that needs some total cost of ownership approach that is supported by a number of players. This will be the bridge we need to cross if we want to move on to fuel cell electric trucks. Overall, the infrastructure chain being quite complex for fuel cell electric vehicles is the challenge we should discuss in a little bit of detail here. Federico, can you offer us some insights into the infrastructure chain? Thank you, Simon, for describing the hydrogen opportunity and technology. Let me also make a point on the fact that hydrogen, among the various challenges you quoted, is difficult to store. Either you store it at very high compression rates, which makes basically the bottles very thick and very expensive, up to 700 bars, or you store it liquid. But as we know, hydrogen liquefies at very, very low temperatures, sub-minus 250 degrees Celsius, which makes it very expensive to store at those low temperatures. So it will be key for the industries to find solutions to such issue. Fuel cells, electric vehicles require a new type of infrastructure. So first of all, we have the production. As you mentioned, we will have essentially green and blue hydrogen. For blue hydrogen, there will be a production plants that will produce them from methane, but will require all the carbon capture systems to be installed. And these are quite expensive and can use up to 20 to 30% of the energy that is produced from the hydrogen to store the CO2. And then the green hydrogen, of course, all the solar and wind installations that you mentioned. On top of that, we will need all the electrolyzers for green hydrogen that will turn water into oxygen and hydrogen by using the electricity that is produced through the renewables. And then the more road transport specific infrastructure, which will essentially be storage, 
therefore the hydrogen stored close to the, let me say, what could be the new gas stations, when the gas would be hydrogen gas, right? And then the refueling stations. Refueling stations that need to have completely different standards because hydrogen is very different from whatever fuel is used today, different temperature, pressures, and also it's a very small molecules that tends to escape very easily and therefore requires these new technologies for the refueling. The good point is that for long-haul transport, we wouldn't need the whole refueling network to be converted to hydrogen. If we talk only long-haul transport, we could plan along the key corridors to have important H2 installations where all the trucks can plan their refueling. And this could help reduce the cost of infrastructure. I think, Simon, it's interesting to comment on the balance of cost and investment. The investment is clearly an advantage of hydrogen because a few hydrogen stations, and yes, of course, you need to produce the hydrogen, but then that is factored in the hydrogen unit price. Whereas for electric road systems, you need a huge electric infrastructure to carry the electricity to many kilometers of highways, and therefore it would be much more expensive. Oliver Wyman estimates the investment for Europe would be five times higher for electric road systems. But on unit cost, and therefore total cost of ownership for the operator, we expect hydrogen to be much more expensive to use. And that's for the fact that hydrogen is just less efficient. You have so many more transformation of the electricity. What is your view? Absolutely. Challenges are multiple ones, as you already pointed out. The business case needs to work for everybody involved in the system here. This is an innovation that can only break through into the market. It works for all of these different companies involved. Looking at the progress that we can already see in the market, this is really coming from player groups, from alliances, from corporations that cross the whole hydrogen value chain. And these uh, partnerships are already existing and they are already successful to a certain degree. If you look at the large projects, for example, the port of Rotterdam working together with Shell, with Iveco, which again in turn bases its fuel cell technology on the Nikola technology, BP is involved too. You see a lot of players working together in order to make it happen, to get to the business case, to get to the usage, to the large-scale deployment of fuel cell electric vehicles. These challenges you pointed out of storing the energy, of refueling the truck, of letting the truck run even in winter time on long distances, of having an additional cost that needs to be carried by the let's say, the logistics company and in the end, the end customer. There's a lot of people that are actually willing to pay more for sustainable transport. But in order to make it happen, you have to bring all of these groups together. Quite clear how complex the problem is, not only in the technology, but also in the commercial aspects of it. And that can only be achieved by working together with players from different specializations. Absolutely, Simon. And actually, let me stress this point. I think it is very important for our listeners. These challenges you and I are talking about are paramount challenges that cannot be solved by one single player in the value chain. They require a business ecosystem, different players working together to find the optimum for all of the system and all of Europe. We cannot have the energy company working individually to optimize the energy production. We cannot have the truck OEM doing what it's best for the company. We need to have them all to find really the best balance of these technologies to make it work for the whole system. And then it will be bingo for everybody because we know it will be tens and tens of billion in the next 10 years, whichever the technology will be. And 
You have mentioned some of the partnerships that already exist, and I think that's great. What do you see in the truck OEM market? What are they organizing around? In your discussions, what do they see as the most promising technologies? And generally, do you find the level of investment sustained enough then and focused enough? That's really the key question because all OEMs in the truck industry have to work on multiple solutions at the same time. And this is making their lives so difficult because they have these huge investments they have to make. And at the same time, they are not 100% sure which technology will prevail. Most of them are forming vertical and horizontal alliances in order to limit the investments they have to make on their own and have that market breakthrough. There is some key learning for the automotive and for the truck industry. When you have a new technology, you have to make it work also for your customer and for all the partners on the value chain that they're working with. Looking at the different deployment success stories and also the difficult stories that came with the emergence of battery electric vehicles in the car industry, you can clearly see that the companies that were successful did not only offer a new technology, but also a new model, a new approach. For example, at Tesla, how they have introduced battery electric vehicles to the market successfully, they thought beyond the traditional ways of a car manufacturer. They thought about up and downstream alliances first. They thought about a vertically integrated system they could offer to their customers. For example, they offered superchargers to their customers. They had to have partners for superchargers in Europe. They had to have partners for the land and equipment, they had had partners for the operation of it, but they wanted to offer that and they did it as a part of their vertically integrated system. If you think about fuel cell electric trucks, it's not just a truck you can sell to end customers who will pay cash for it. You have to have services around it. You have to think about coverage of the infrastructure requirements and the different challenges around it. You have to talk to your end customers. There are many end customer segments that are willing to pay a little bit more if the transport of that good is sustainable. My final thoughts are three things I would like to tell the truck manufacturers and the truck industry. You need to think about offering vertically integrated systems. Do not leave your customers alone with these complex and expensive trucks. You have to go for partnerships. And last but not least, this is something you need to build for scale. It's feasible. It's difficult, but it's feasible to go for scale here. And this is something that needs to be woven into the approach to go to market that you have to design in the next years. Thank you, Simon. Very clear. And I think you made some very important uh, point. Let me make some closing remarks here. When you said we cannot expect the single logistic operator to decide that he wants to pay more for transportation to make it green and also to the alignment of standards that I mentioned before. Really, I think one of the key steps is to have the regulator involved here to first work with the different business ecosystems that you already mentioned to find the optimal technology or what should be the coexisting technologies, drafting the key investment roadmap from here to 2030, and then align all of the partners involved possibly identifying maybe some heads of value chain that coordinate the investments of everybody so that money doesn't get lost but is invested 
in the right spots of this value chain to make it happen and then run the whole industry through it, making the regulation that is needed and also the right incentives for the logistic players to adopt greener transportation. Simon, this is all the time we have today. Thank you very much for joining me to this discussion and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. As always, please do get in touch on Twitter or LinkedIn at Oliver Wyman. Thank you very much and goodbye.